currently the temperature is 28 degrees Celsius, the relative humidity 92%. Please be aware the thunderstorm warning will remain effective until 9.30 today. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Philip Wong. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Janice. On today's program, we're talking about Hong Kong's labor shortage and if throwing more money at talent is the best way to address the problem. A recent survey by the Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce has found that more than a third of companies in their study had either downsized, closed or were planning to move all or some of their operations elsewhere due to a lack of staff. It says Hong Kong should import more workers, but cautions that while offering bigger paychecks is one obvious solution, it may not be the best idea. The Federation of Trade Unions, meanwhile, is concerned that the government may not be doing enough to retain civil servants after the Executive Council proposed a 2.87% pay rise for senior staff and a 4.65% increase for junior and middle-ranking staff. So, in the global battle for talent, is cash the only solution? What else can the government and local companies do to hire and retain staff. After 9.45, we'll look at what exchange students who've come here to study are taking away from their experience. And um, now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Dr. Thomas Yoon, Assistant Professor of Economic and Finance at Xuyan University. Leslie Tang, Head of Global Client Solutions for Greater China at Randstad Recruitment Agency. And Cheng Wing Ho, Chairman of the Federation of Hong Kong Electrical and Mechanical Industries Trade Unions. Good morning to you all and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, Mr. Tang... Is the situation really as bad as what the uh, Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce survey describes? Well, thanks, Janet, for your time. And uh, I think it's important for employers and also government to understand first why is it that people are leaving their jobs uh, for another employer or, or, in this case, relocate as well. Uh, we're basically, you know, looking at 31% of Hong Kongers that are planning planning to switch jobs this year. Uh, we're launching our recently our um, Randstad employer brand research. It's been our 11th year of uh, doing this research. And what this research has shown is that um, basically for a lot of people these days, I think work-life balance is the pivotal point of what they're looking for in their next uh, role. So the lack of work-life balance, uh, you know, Hong Kong being such an extensive place to live with the low compensation and rise of cost of living, uh, and also the lack of career growth potentially in their opportunities in their current role has really, I guess, given them the, the perspective of looking out, outwards and seeing if there are other opportunities uh, outside of the current role uh, that they can look at. And I think that's really been a pivotal point in the research that we see in this year. All right. So, um, Dr. Yoon, let's go to you. Um, from what Mr. Chang is saying, um, do you think this labor shortage problem is, uh, is going to last for some time or, or do you think it's uh, peaked? Okay, the, the problem is actually going to last for some time. And looking at the big picture, the labor force is using, actually. And this, this has been known for, for a long time. And if you just take a look at the census, okay, at the recent census 2021, you can forecast that every year uh, the labor force is reducing at about 60, on the average, uh, 60 to 70,000. Okay, so uh, about two percent. So from the big picture, we will always have a lack of labor. Okay, whether it's a talent or a skilled labor or, or, or any human resources, as 
uh, one of the issues is that Hong Kong do not have any resources, okay? Our only and the most important resources is human resources, or what we call in economic terms, we call it human capital. So, uh, in the meantime, the government is trying to uh, import talents, we, we know that, uh, uh, encourage more talents to come to Hong Kong, uh, or import some labors, okay? Uh, uh, but this may not actually solve the issue, uh, and in Hong Kong, the, the young generation are actually long for some, as we say, uh, work-life balance, okay? <laughs> Therefore, they may reduce their uh, working hours. Uh, they do not want to work for 24 hours uh, from line to line, uh, 12 hours or something like this. So the labor shortage will actually last for some time. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Leung. Uh, can you actually talk a little bit more about the survey, uh, such as, you know, are there any industries that are particularly affected? And also, you know, in terms of the positions, is it usually um, at the sea level or mid or junior levels that are, you know, have a very big shortage? Right. So, so, so Mr. Leung, um, George Leung, he will actually join us after 9.30, but maybe, um, Mr. Chang, do you think you can uh, shed some light on that? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, the survey, we've been doing this over a decade. And, and typically, the survey, we, we basically uh, cover the wide gamut of Hong Kong, the, the general population of Hong Kong, basically from you know people that are in the Gen Xs, the Millennials, and the Gen Zs. And what we've come to see is that when we're looking at those demographics, typically the, the Millennials uh, are the age group that we see people uh, likely to drive the talent movement. Um, these are, as, as, uh, as my co-host, um, or as the guest actually before this said, you know, most of the people that are looking for work-life balance, this has been a pivotal point in their career search. So last year when we did this research, uh, basically work-life balance and uh, salary and benefits were on par. But this year, work-life balance has been the key point and key focal point of what uh, most people are looking for uh, in their next opportunities. And I really do think that that attests to the fact that we've been um, battling COVID for the last two, two years and people have had a taste of what it's like to manage their workload um, basically with having personal time and being in the office. And they've realized that they can do their job even if they're at home. Right. And, so, and for that matter, yeah. So, so Mr. Tang, what have uh, most businesses been doing to deal with this problem then? Yeah, so I think for most businesses, uh, they have really evaluated what their EVPs stand for and what they can do to attract talent. So whether, you know, it, as I said, it's improving the work-life balance aspect, uh, whether it's offering better mentorship, better training, upskilling, reskilling, uh, better learning and development opportunities as well. These are things that I think a lot of my clients and a lot of people that we speak to in the market uh, have really put a, a bigger onus on this year uh, as they try to do other things outside of the salary piece that right. I think is, is always going to be a hard thing to move. So they're not just uh, increasing salaries now then? Uh, not just the only uh, aspect that uh, people can do, yes. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, Cheng Wing Ho from the uh, Federation of Hong Kong Electrical and Mechanical Industries uh, Trade Unions. Uh, good morning, Mr. Cheng. Good morning. Right. So, so um, just now, Mr. Tang, he, he just mentioned how many businesses have been, uh, well, some have been increasing salaries and some have uh, focused more on work-life balance. Um, what's your view on this? Um, I, I think supporting um, the foreign neighbors construction, construction industry, I think two questions to consideration. First, um, the civil work uh, usually to balance the private market, but unfortunately, all the work were carried out at the same time. Therefore, shortage of workers in the market. Second, uh, it's 
is there a shortage of local uh, workers or just mismatching of the job? Can the shortage of manpower solved by uh, transformation or, um, or training? I, I think if, if uh, the, um, um, the, the job can uh, uh, um, not very uh, tight, I think the uh, local manpower can support the um, uh, uh, construction industry. Right. So, so you think that we should uh, focus more on retraining our local staff instead yeah, of uh, yeah. importing more labor from outside? Um, Mr. Tang, what do you think? I mean, that's uh, one suggestion by the uh, General Chamber of uh, Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce uh, to import right. more staff. Yeah, uh, um, and I think the train the piece about upskilling and reskilling is quite important, uh, and you definitely need to use the, the current workforce that you have and see what you can do to maintain uh, the higher percentage of them staying in the workforce, but also staying with the business. But there are other aspects that you can also look at uh, in terms of what you can do to uh, create a better workplace. So, in our survey, we have said that 18% uh, of of employees have said that they would rather be employed than work for a company that does not allow aligned with their personal values. So I think in terms of personal values, whether it's uh, supporting, and, and we're coming up with Pride Month, so um, I think supporting LGBTQ employees, uh, having a safe environment, being able to create unnecessary stress, uh, and feeling empowered in the role, uh, and feeling good in uh, coming into the work, I think that's quite important as well. And talking about foreign workers, you know, <clears throat> what are the advantages and also the challenges, you know, companies and local popul- uh, Hong Kong would face? Uh, Mr. Tang? Yes. So I think for foreign workers, uh, there's always going to be a balance. I think you have to look at what is currently within the Hong Kong population. Uh, but I, I know that the government uh, recently has said that, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, a bigger push in terms of attracting talent outside of Hong Kong. But I think this is always going to be a, a continued battle that we're going to face is how are we going to find um, a better talent outside, but also, as I said, upskilling and reskilling talent that we have. I think this is always going to be a balance and pivotal point that uh, the government and most employers need to look at. And you also mentioned about, you know, um, educating um, the local workforce to fill in you know, other positions. You know, what kind of education are you suggesting, you know, for the, for the companies to, uh, to do? It all depends on the client, uh, the, the company itself. I think when we're looking at two specific areas uh, in terms of training, it, it could be anything from upskilling the employee in their current role. Maybe they are looking to progress in their role and they don't have the adequate skills to do the job. Uh, so you have to look at opportunities within probably their learning and development department. How can they upskill these individuals? Uh, and then also on the on the other end of the spectrum is reskilling. For for some people, they might be looking to move out of their current role and into a new one, but you still want to retain that talent. So you have to be able to provide these new skills to them and, and allow to them to be upskilled to do the job in that sense. So I think it all depends on what uh, the gamut of this employer is looking for and how they can better utilize their resources. All right. So let, let's go to uh, Dr. Yoon. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, so, so what uh, Mr. Tang is saying is not just all about uh, increasing salaries. We have to improve work-life uh, balance. Yeah. Uh, because of the uh, I think uh, the value of the workers are changed. Uh, they work about their family. They know that okay, accident can happen anytime. The panic, uh, uh, the pandemic can happen anytime. So uh, it's time for them to 
treasury, their family, their, their parents of work, and they would like to put more time with their family. So improve the work-family balance is one way to to retain your talents. And, and other point is that I think training, uh, uh, the, uh, Mr. Chan has always speak about uh, training, uh, okay? And one of the important points is that uh, we need to train our talents uh, or your staff the future. Uh, so one of the most important thing is that you get to the new technology. Uh, for example, artificial intelligence. Uh, we all know that in the future, uh, you need to use artificial intelligence. Uh, but do uh, every company or do the company actually have the ability to train their talents for AI uh, in the future? Uh, and this is something important uh, because uh, your staff may actually want to build up their career. They, they are not just working uh, for, for, for a few years. They may want to build up their career for the future. So we need to know what is happening to the future and what kind of talents or what kind of skills they are actually uh, so as to retain the uh, staff. Uh, and of course, uh, if your company actually moves in the direction of the future, for example, using artificial intelligence or, or, or digital economy, uh, your company and actually provide a prospect, uh, a promised prospect uh, for the career of your talents. So uh, not, not just wage, uh, uh, not just increase or not just the price itself, but the career perspective, the work-life balance, uh, and treasuring the value uh, of the or your staff, uh, for example, uh, global warming, uh, man, man, most of the young people are actually uh, concerned about uh, global warming, concerned about ESG today. Uh, so uh, this is the, your company need to get aligned with the value uh, of your staff uh, or, of the, or of the talents that you are actually trying to get. Uh, and indeed, this is not just a value of Hong Kong. This is the global value. Uh, so if you want to get a talent, compete for the talent globally. Okay, uh, not just from Hong Kong. You need to consider ESG. You need to align your your company with the new technology, with the global value. Uh, so this is one way that you can retain your talents uh, uh, in the coming future. Yeah. So it seems like you know you're suggesting that you know companies need to look into the culture and look into the values. So there is a very big cultural shift. Um, for, for the companies in uh, Hong Kong. And I, I feel that a lot of them might be a little bit reluctant to look into that and, and to change. You know, How would you persuade these companies to, to actually look into it and, and change their values and uh, culture? I think the market will persuade that, okay? Uh, we all know that Hong Kong is an uh, international city. We are actually competitive. Our competition is not within Hong Kong. We are having a global competition. And the value or the culture of, for example, ESG uh, or high technology, artificial intelligence, oh, I know that many uh, small medium, SME, uh, small medium enterprise, may be reluctant to actually move towards uh, change their, their way of doing things. Uh, but uh, we, the market or the global market, the competition, will force them to do so. Because if you are not doing all this, uh, if you are not following the value of ESG, uh, you will lose your investor. Today, actually, you will lose your investor. Uh, and, and somehow, uh, you will feel that you will lose your talent. Uh, so you cannot just pay them with a higher wage rate uh, if you do not have the market. Uh, if you do not get in the profit, if you do not follow the, the global value, how can you get the profit to, to pay higher wage? Uh, so the point is that the market will driven, uh, even though it's SME or uh, global competition, will driven uh, uh, the company uh, to move towards uh, the 
the high high revenue and by doing so, they will retain those successful uh, company will retain their talent in the future. Yeah. All right. And uh, Mr. Chang, I mean, going back to you, I mean, uh, apart from, um, for example, uh, achieving a better work-life balance for staff, um, you said some businesses uh, have also been increasing salaries uh, to compete for talent. Um, how much are salaries going up by in the private sector? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think for salaries, uh, my point around that is, is that a lot of companies have exercised their, you know, their talent folks and, and looked at, okay, how can we retain the talent using salary? But I think the, the, the onus of the, of the employer or, or, or the sentiment of the employer is really how outside of salary, what else is of the, what other factors can we sort of increase or improve? And what we have found is that a lot of employers are, are looking at other areas, whether it's, as I said, work-life flexibility or having more autonomy in the role, um, having a more modern workspace, uh, but also outside of the non-monetary benefits uh, when we're looking at the salary pieces, you know, things like benefits, um, things like pecuniary benefits, uh, whether it's bonuses, one-time payouts. These are areas that I think employers are being a little bit more creative these days to try to look at the overall package. So when we're talking about salaries and, and, and having that having that flexibility uh, to improve this aspect, I think uh, nowadays I see that a lot of the employers out there in the marketplace are being a little bit more creative in this okay. sense. The, the reason why I asked uh, that question was because, uh, sure. um, as we know, the, the Executive Council has just uh, proposed a salary increase uh, for um, civil servants of uh, between a 287 to 4.65% for different ranking government staff. I was just wondering, um, how competitive are government jobs now compared to a uh, private sector? I mean, they are, they are both. I mean, both sectors are com competing for um, the same talent pool. Correct. I, I think in terms of you know, the private sector versus the public sector, it's always going to be competing for the same talent, as you mentioned. Uh, what we see in, in, in the past, I think, two and a half years uh, of, of sort of the, the recruitment world is that I think for a lot of candidates nowadays, they do exercise both options. Uh, they will look at essentially where the money is, but also the other factors, what offers the better work-life balance, what has a little bit more autonomy. I think for a lot of employees nowadays, when they look at a job search, it's not just the be-all, end-all of salary. Although Hong Kong is quite expensive to live in, I think that the idea is that they want a job where they feel that they can thrive in, they feel comfortable, they feel that they're being supported. So it's a lot of elements. And I think that regardless of whether it comes from the public sector or the private sector, uh, I think that nowadays, you know, everybody's going after the same ideal candidate. And, and, and you know, it's, it's such a competitive landscape in that sense. Uh, Mr. Tang, you mentioned about, you know, the cost of living in Hong Kong being quite high. So I am quite curious as to, you know, the comparing the um, the four point six five percent increase, and comparing to you know private uh, companies, because as you know, cost of living is high, and you know I, I know I understand that you know they uh, a lot of um, labor would like to look into uh, work life balance, but you know at the end of the day, you know the percent increase is also quite valuable to them. So how does that compare to uh, private companies? I think in comparison to, to private companies, uh, as I mentioned, I think regardless of whether it's private or public uh, with the increase, it, it does create a bit of a shift in, in the whole sort of ecosystem of, of, of salaries nowadays in Hong Kong where 
we have seen an uprise. And, and year on year, you do see the salaries, especially for certain sectors like tech, for example, technology, uh, we've seen upwards of 50% increments uh, for certain salaries uh, for employees. So it, it depends on the area in which uh, the, the employee is, is in. But certainly, I think uh, as we shift towards um, the next couple of years, we will see a bit of a balance and it will kind of taper off a little bit. Uh, but it was a bit of an anomaly, I, I would say, uh, when we're talking about salaries uh, versus the last two, two three years. So um, nowadays, I, I would say uh, overall it has sort of tapered off. Uh, we do see salaries leveling off a little bit and, and people being a little bit more cautious from an employer standpoint. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, Mr. Chung for a moment. Mr. Chung? Mr. Chang? Hi, Hi yeah. Mr. Chang. So earlier you're talking about uh, um, your concerns about uh, the, the construction industry. Um, you were saying that uh, you believe uh, we should uh, sort of uh, import fewer workers, but uh, focus more on re retraining local staff. Um, what do you think about what we're talking about here about uh, work-life balance? Is that something uh, you also uh, believe is uh, important when we, when we search for more talent? Um. Uh, um, uh, uh, I'm working uh, in the uh, electrical and mechanical in industry. Yep. Um, some of the work, uh, EM workers are working on, on the uh, construction side. Some of the workers are uh, working in decoration or, or alternation addition. Some of the workers uh, in repair and maintenance field. Uh, I think the lack of uh, construction industry uh, maybe um, if if the some of uh, the salary or, or, or the work working environment will better, I think some of the worker of the in the, in the uh, maintenance still will change to the uh, construction construction industry. Uh, the will will uh, the lack of worker will better. Right. But how how's your industry been uh, trying to get more um, more people to join? I mean, have you been uh, increasing salaries or providing more uh, benefits? Uh, uh, salaries in part, but uh, another, uh, the, maybe the, the, the uh, 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 environment of the construction site, the safety is uh, other consideration. Right. So, so staff are now more concerned about uh, safety than uh, their than a uh, higher salary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at, uh, both. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chair. Um, so, given the fact that there is a shortage of labor in in Hong Kong, do you think the government should do something and provide some support, especially to uh, you know small medium uh, enterprises, uh, Mr. Chung? I think uh, I, I, I'm actually. A lack of the uh, local worker is is true, but uh, I think more uh, more carefully to import the uh, foreign workers because if if the if enough of foreign workers to do the job, the employer has no incentive to train local workers. As we saw. There will never be enough local workers after. Um, the other, due to the supply and demand issues, workers lack of bargaining power and the salary will work hard to upward adjustment.
All right. Mr. Tang, what, what do you think of uh, Mr. Chung's uh, concern, I mean, about the importation of labor? Uh, I, I think importing labor is is going to be a hot topic, and, and we do see that, especially with boomers uh, happening in the next couple of years. We're going to see a huge shift in in the recruitment world as well, and, and, and just uh, having a shortage of workers. So I will, you know, be optimistic about it. And I think, you know, we're all, everybody's going to have their eyes uh, wide open to see what the government will do in this aspect. But um, I, I, for one, will say that, you know, Hong Kong is, and, and as the other person mentioned as well, uh, the other speaker mentioned, uh, we are globally competing for candidates uh, equally. And I think that it's important to be, uh, be very competitive in this sense and try to attract as many talents as we can. Uh, on the flip side, you know, I think there's always going to be people that will be looking uh, for you know, greener pastures. So if Hong Kong can position itself uh, in that light, I think it's always going to be a great sign for, for us as a city. So that's, right. that's my sense. All right, Mr. Tang, I'm afraid I have to stop you there because uh, we need to take sure. a short uh, news break. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Leslie Tang, the head of Global Client Solutions for Greater China at Randstad Recruitment Agency. Many thanks also to Cheng Wing Ho, chairman of the Federation of Hong Kong Electrical and Mechanical industries trade unions and uh, dr yun will continue our discussion after the news when we will be joined by george leung the chief executive officer of the hong kong general chamber of commerce now if you want to share your views on today's topics you can leave a message on our facebook page backchat on rthk radio 3 email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266 and uh, here's a quick look at the weather mainly cloudy with a few showers hot with sunny intervals later. The top temperature will be around 32 degrees. The And uh, the thunderstorm warning is currently in force. Right now it's 29 degrees, relative humidity 86%. It's now 9.30 with the news summary. Here's Barry O'Rourke. Roundtable lawmaker Michael Tien says he backs the idea of heftier fines for abuse of the $2 transport scheme subsidy for the elderly. But Mr Tien also said the scheme should be changed from a fixed $2 per ride fee to a percentage of the trip fare. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky says he's shocked by the lack of help from international aid agencies. A day after the Kakovka Dam was destroyed. In an interview with German media, he singled out the UN and the Red Cross. And scientists have recorded the first known case of a virgin birth by a crocodile in Costa Rica. Other species, such as snakes, birds and fish, are known to be able to reproduce without an egg being fertilised by sperm, often in reaction to a shortage of male mates. But it's never been documented in crocodiles before. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Mosquitoes transmit diseases like dengue fever, Japanese encephalitis, and Zika virus infection. To prevent mosquito bites, make sure you get protected. Remember to wear loose, light-colored, and long-sleeved tops and trousers. Follow instructions and reapply decontaining insect repellent. Avoid staying in scrubby areas. If you feel unwell after traveling abroad, seek medical advice immediately and give the doctor your travel details. To know more, visit chp.gov.hk. Why have so many online accounts and passwords when you need only one with I Am Smart? You can access different online services using the I Am Smart platform, fill in forms automatically, and receive personalized notifications. Access eTax with I Am Smart. Managing your tax matters has never been easier. For more details, visit iamsmart.gov.hk. I Am Smart, the safe and swift gateway to online services. 
Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday, on a Thursday morning, actually, with Philip Wong and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is uh, Dr. Thomas Yoon, Assistant Professor of Economic and Finance at Xi'an University. And joining us now is George Leung, the Chief Executive Officer of the Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, Mr. Leung. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Back Chat. And now in the first half of the program, we talked about uh, the labor shortage situation in general and also the uh, situation highlighted by your survey that uh, found that more than a third of companies have either downsized, closed, or were planning to move some of their operations elsewhere because of a lack of staff. Um, Mr. Leung, can you tell us a bit more about uh, your findings? Uh, what kind of companies or businesses are most affected? Well, actually, uh, uh in the case of Hong Kong, uh, all kinds of uh, company, no matter you know, um, a big enterprise or just uh, SME, they are all having a shortage in labor. Uh, particular those in the, the middle management and also uh, the frontline employee, uh, those two areas are most severe. And uh, from our survey, uh, more than uh, you know, three quarter. Uh, of the company uh, having such a problem, and uh, many of them are suffering uh, labor shortage for more than three years. Well, you mentioned about frontline, you know, employees. So, shouldn't um, companies, you know, utilize, you know, the unemployed? I mean, there is still some people in Hong Kong that are unemployed there. Well, I think you all are aware that uh, Hong Kong unemployment rate already fell to three uh, <clears> percent. We expect. Uh, the rate will drop further to 2.6% by the end of this year. Uh, I mean, at this level, it's almost, you know, full employment. Of course, there are still some people unemployed because uh, uh, they might not not like to pick up some sort of uh, jobs. But uh, from uh, the economic perspective, it's already reached full employment. So it's not the matter um, uh, we are now offering uh, attractive salary uh, enough. Uh, but actually, in the market, uh, we are not uh, having enough people uh, to work. Uh, at present, if we are looking in the labor force, uh, compared with uh, period uh, pre-pandemic, uh, we are now sort of around uh, more than 220,000 people. So it's a quite a significant number. Uh, today, if you look into those unemployed, uh, there's just uh, around uh, 100,000. But of course, I mean, uh, every economy has uh, some people uh, remain unemployed for for quite a long time. So, by this standard, uh, Hong Kong uh, is, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, really fully employed, and uh, that there is still a big gap uh, in in the labor shortage. So we needed to find some way uh, to resolve the problem. Say. Uh, importing labor from outside. Right, like you mentioned, uh, you, you're suggesting importing more labor, um, but the government has already expanded its uh, labor importation schemes and increased uh, job categories under its list of uh, talents el- eligible for immigration under different admission schemes. So, um, what exactly are you calling for? Well, this is a Indeed, a welcome move. Um, the government has been working very hard to uh, import uh, people from outside. Uh, they expand quite a number of existing schemes to uh, include, you know, more kinds of jobs. Uh, but I think that uh, first of all, you know, uh, the government uh, uh, has uh, some uh, intention to uh, import more talent, uh, you know, with uh, somewhat a higher pay. Uh, from our way, I mean, uh, those sort of. Uh, uh, talent uh, in in our survey that uh, only account for one percent of 
those companies suffering uh, from uh, labor shortage. Uh, we are seeing, you know, uh, more uh, shortage actually in the middle and the front line. That's what I said. So uh, uh, not only in terms of quantity, but also uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, what level uh, of uh, the skilled worker we needed to import uh, is also very important. So we hope that the government can expand the scheme uh, to include uh, more middle management. I mean, those people who earned uh, less than half a million a year uh, and also those uh, frontline uh, uh, workers. For, for example, say, uh, in the airport, we are still short of around 20,000 people. Uh, on the groundworks. I mean, uh, those are people who are driving, you know, the vehicle, handling the baggage. Uh, they are not a very, uh, you know, uh, senior level, not a very skillful people. I mean, but we need a large number of those people to keep the airport running. So you mentioned at the end of the year, unemployment rate will go down to 2.6%. And um, we mentioned earlier, government is, is trying to import more foreign workers. So uh, earlier, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Professor Yoon mentioned about, you know, using technology and AI. You know, what do you think about that? Well, uh, uh, in our way, uh, actually, uh, you know, how our member company, you know, to cover the situation of the labor shortage. Of course, the first is to um, uh, pay high wages because uh, that will be, uh, has the uh, immediate effect, but uh, not all the company uh, are affordable to pay a high wages, you know, for uh, you know all the employee, and um, many of them actually resorted to uh, automation and also uh, digitalize their service. Uh, this come to be a, a very significant uh, measure uh, being taken because uh, from our survey, more than half of our company, uh, you know, looking to this uh, uh, this solution. Uh, Nevertheless, that uh, not all kinds of jobs uh, that can be automated, all right, and and uh, also uh, many of them still need the, you know the people to handle. So uh, from our survey, that uh, this can help uh, reduce uh, you know the need of uh, some uh, labor requirement, but not all of them. So given you know the gap. Uh, right now, we have uh, so much <coughs> in the labor shortage. Uh, automation uh, and the digitalization is a solution, but cannot resolve everything. Right. Let, let's go to uh, Dr. Yoon for a moment. Dr. Yoon? Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about uh, uh, maybe importation of labor or talent, um, but, but how can a good balance be struck? Because uh, on one hand, you want to fill some positions with uh, Im- importer, imported uh, labor or talent, but on the other hand, you don't want to take jobs away from local workers, do we? Yeah, the point is that I think, uh, as you mentioned by the speaker, is that we are actually at the full employment level, okay? So even though you, we import labor or, or, or talent, does not actually take away the job of uh, our labor uh, or local people. Uh, and this needs to be transparent. Uh, the most important thing is that we need to let the labor and the market know that we are in full employment, okay? There are always some people or some workers jumping between jobs, okay? They are searching for jobs. Uh, so uh, and this makes us uh, that the company cannot employ enough labor. And one of the most important things is that this uh, reduces the economic growth rate. Uh, so that everyone cannot earn more. <laughs> so uh, it's unavoidable to import labor, uh, not just talent. 
uh, even though according to the calculation, uh, the KPI of the government, uh, even though they fulfill the KPI, it's just marginally enough to fill up the gap. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and so, uh, of course, uh, we still need to consider, not, not just uh, economic growth, uh, not just in, in improve the transparency, provide more information to uh, workers and provide more information to the company, uh, tell them the regulation that the government set up uh, and what a grey area. I think most of the labour in Hong Kong actually uh, do not, uh, what I say is that, uh, uh, are quite worried about the grey area. So if uh, the, the government say that, uh, of course our regulation is that when you import the labour, the labour's wage rate should not be significantly lower than our uh, local labors and of course you can you need to employ local labor first okay our first priority is local labor uh, so the idea is if you get everything transparent you provide uh, a strict regulation avoid a gray area uh, of course uh, one one important thing is that you need to have enough place for the importer workers to to come into Hong Kong to live. Uh, otherwise, they, they need to, need to uh, live in the border and transport a few hours uh, go to their workplace. Uh, so uh, it depends uh, on the on the way that the government is going to do on the regulation uh, to protect local workers uh, to keep the balance. Yeah. All right, and and Mr. Leung, I have a message here from our listener T C Jung and. Uh, um, he, he seems to agree with your view. He says uh, cash isn't the solution, but then he says uh, it's, the, it's the only one that Hong Kong has. And he goes on to say that Hong Kong isn't the only place that has the money to grab a talent. Um, Mr. Leung, what's your view on that? I mean, how, how can um, Hong Kong compete with other places that are also trying to uh, uh, look for talent? Well, you know, Hong Kong is a place of no resources. Uh, we count on talent. Uh, and the people in order to uh, 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 produce the economic activities. If we do not have sufficient talent uh, in Hong Kong here and also enough work uh, to help the Hong Kong uh, you know, uh, uh, continue to grow, uh, Hong Kong, uh, you know, uh, we see you know, um, uh, a big problem uh, to sustain our economic activities. So uh, we have to find uh, every way to attract our talent. Uh, from what we know, I mean, uh, all other cities around the world, say uh, in London, in Singapore, uh, they are also offering more attractive uh, conditions to uh, uh, attract talent to uh, their own uh, city or countries. Hong Kong, if we wanted to uh, uh, maintain our uh, international competitiveness, uh, we needed to offer similar or even better uh, condition to attract those talent coming to Hong Kong. Uh, otherwise, that uh, I, I don't think that uh, uh, we can continue uh, in order to grow without the people. That is totally impossible. What kind of uh, conditions are, are you talking about? Is it about uh, work-life balance? Well, uh, people now, uh, actually, after the pandemic, from hours away, uh, a lot more people uh, you know, looking for uh, better work-life balance. Uh, this is uh, the second reason uh, why Hong Kong uh, seeing a labor shortage because the people uh, tend to uh, reduce their working hours, enjoy their family lives, uh, and that's why um, the man hour input uh, actually less than before the pandemic. And we need actually more people to fill up the time. 
So it's not just emigration, uh, but uh, also uh, seeking work-life balance and other uh, reason that we are seeing a shortage of labor. And this is indeed, uh, you know, the global phenomenon, uh, not just that in Hong Kong. So uh, in in case of Hong Kong, uh, we needed to uh, more, uh, uh, you know, introduce a, a more attractive measure. For example, say uh, simplify the procedure, and also uh, some sort of uh, uh, you know uh, 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 subsidized schemes or maybe some sort of uh, requirement, uh, you know, to facilitate that uh, those uh, people working in Hong Kong here. For example, say, uh, for the frontline employee, uh, if you want a large number uh, of frontline workers uh, to come to Hong Kong, uh, we definitely need to, to look into the GBA because uh, of the pro uh, proximity. And uh, they may possibly to come to work in Hong Kong here, uh, you know, come to Hong Kong uh, in the morning and go back home uh, at night because of the better infrastructure right now. Uh, otherwise, I think uh, it would be difficult to get a large number of uh, workers uh, coming to Hong Kong here. This is quite similar to the case in Singapore. I mean, they got uh, a lot of uh, labor from uh, the nearby Malaysia. Uh, we need, uh, you know, this sort of labor to help Hong Kong to maintain our economic activities. So we need to simplify, you know, um, uh, the working requirement, the visa, the procedure, uh, and the visa, wherever, uh, to get them uh, easily coming uh, in and out of Hong Kong. All right, uh, Mr. Leung, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, George Leung, the Chief Executive Officer of the Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce. Many thanks also to uh, Dr. Thomas Yoon, Assistant Professor of Economic and Finance at Xuyan University. It's now 9.46 and in a moment we'll look at what exchange students who've come here to study are taking away from their experience. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, I'm Michael Wong, the Deputy Financial Secretary. For the past 95 years, our THK has shared a common journey with Hong Kong people. Going forward, I trust that our THK will continue to provide Hong Kong with more programs that are rich in content and that can move our hearts. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. With Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Now, lately, there have been some talk about the need to cultivate a global mindset among our youth. But what valuable experience do foreign exchange students get when they come to Hong Kong? To tell us more, we're now joined in the studio by Dr. Josephine Jim, the Executive Director of AFS Intercultural Exchanges in Hong Kong, and Noah Nevet, an exchange student from Spain, who has been attending the Baptist Lo Ming Choi Secondary School. Good morning, Dr. Jim. Good morning. Good morning, Noah. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so first of all, Noah, um, why did you want to come to Hong Kong in the first place? Well, um, I've always really liked the Asian culture and I think it's very different from the European culture. And I wanted to go somewhere that was just going to be a really big change for me and would allow me to learn many things. And I think Hong Kong was a good choice, honestly. So did you know uh, a lot about Hong Kong before you came here? Um, I knew a bit because I have uh, an uncle and an aunt who live here. 
but not that much since I don't really see them often. And I think it was like, I saw some pictures and I talked to some exchange students who went to Hong Kong in past years and they told me they really liked it. So I just went for it. <laughs> is, is this your first time to Hong Kong? Yeah, it is. So, you know, I'm very curious to know about, you mentioned about culture. What surprised you the most? I think it was mainly because I wasn't expecting the Western culture and the Eastern culture to merge in such a like natural way, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting because, <laughs> um, as you know, Hong Kong we always say it's an international you know city. Mm. Um, I have a lot of questions to ask you, you know, uh, in particular about your student life in Hong Kong. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, what was it like at the beginning, and how do you feel now? Um, I think. In my, the people in my school have always been really welcoming. Um, everyone has been really, really nice to me, and my school life has been really good. It, I, I get to see how Hong Kong students work and like a different system from like the Spanish one, and I think it's really interesting because there are so many differences, and and I see points of the Spanish one which are better and other that and other than are worse and yeah I think it's really it also reflects a bit how society and which values people have here which is really interesting so what was the uh, most uh, memorable event here for you the most memorable I, I, I if I had to choose one I think it would probably be um, the sports meet in my school it was one of the first like school activities we like we had my school had and it's something in Spain we don't see we don't have like all this school spirit and it really helped me like connect with many people and like I made a lot of friends and I think it was really really fun so would you uh, recommend your friends back home to uh, uh, come here to, to try uh, and exchange as well? Definitely, definitely. Right. And Dr. Jim, I mean, your, your organization um, facilitates exchanges all over the world. How attractive is Hong Kong as a destination? Well, before the pandemic, it's definitely one of the um, you know most popular choice. However, because of the intrinsic constraints in Hong Kong, lack of space, and then families are small with, um, you know, little space housing. So we were facing challenges in finding host families. But now, um, you know, uh, we have lined up with school to refer us host family. So things are getting better. So Hong Kong is among one of the most popular place because of the East meets West criteria. And this is um, most welcome for some students. And uh, normally we also take students to China for a trip so that they have a taste of China, you know, before they go home. Like this time, we managed to get students to Shenzhen and Guangzhou. So um, I think um, in the long run, Hong Kong is still attractive, but we have to work harder to rebuild our capacity, especially with the volunteers, because we, our organization really rely on volunteers. And during the pandemic, you know, these volunteers, some of them have been disconnected. So now we are working on the rebuilding capacity of volunteers to help us help the whole students and help us to help descending students as well. 
So you mentioned about you know I, I think I think it's a great experience for students like Noah, but you also mentioned about host families. I think it's a great experience for them as well. You know, can you you know tell me a little bit about you know what they feel like the feedback from from them? Well, honestly, there is some chemistry between the host students and the host family during a year. Some of them started started very well, and then in the middle, there may be some conflicts. And then later on, when they understand each other better, then the situation becomes, you know, really happy, happy ending. Take, for example, Noah. She had a very good opportunity of staying in a government estate with her host family. But then during the Chinese New Year, her host family went back to China. So we had to put her in a temp family. And this temp family, instead of in a government estate, in the real luxurious house in Pofulam. So she had the experience of, you know, the extremes of the residential environment in Hong Kong. So um, I think the students who come to Hong Kong need to, we need to manage their expectation. Space is always an issue in Hong Kong. Crowdiness is also, you know, the the edge of Hong Kong, in fact. So um, we, 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 we take a long time to manage the student's expectation and to cultivate the relations between the student and the host family, when, especially when there are conflicts in between. Right. And how are these host families selected? Well, um, in the past, we rely on volunteers to refer us to host families. And recently, in these two years, we also had the relations established with each of the secondary school so that they host our students and ex- and at the same time, they refer us a host family from the school. So that, you know, this host family would normally have a student sitting in the same school who can act as a buddy for our host students. So that can enhance the get-together more quickly, you know, between the host students and the host family. All right. We've just uh, spoken to uh, Noah from Spain, who's uh, visiting Hong Kong. What about uh, Hong Kong students? I mean, is there a lot of interest in them going uh, overseas uh, for exchanges? Yes. Well, in fact, um, we have um, sponsorships and scholarships from charity organization. We also have um, um, sponsorship from corporate donors who sponsor the children of their employees to go on the exchange program. So every year we send about 150 students to more than 30 countries worldwide. So now after the pandemic, oh well, I mean, rebuilding from the COVID, we, we are rebuilding our capacity. Even in between the COVID period, we never stop sending students, but on a lower capacity, about one third of our usual numbers. So students are very keen. That must have been a very difficult period. Um, were there, I mean, you said you, you're still sending students. You're talking about Hong Kong students uh, abroad. Um, were there, I mean, what about the interest? Were there fewer students who were interested in going abroad at that time? Um, well, we have to do more work to convince the safety of the students to the parents, but they are still keen. Otherwise, you know, um, they would not be applying for such exchange program. And uh, the um, sponsors and also the donors, they are still encouraging students to go away for the exchange program during the um, COVID season. Because at AFS, 
safety of the students is the first thing. So whatever happens, we have to ensure the students are safe with our host family overseas and also under great care with the volunteers overseas as well. So how do you provide support to you know these students that you know whether it's like Noah coming in or like students from Hong Kong moving elsewhere? You know how do you, how do you, how do you do, the, do, do this? Well, um, in Hong Kong, we have more than two hundred and fifty volunteers supporting students host students, giving them the um, consulate and also giving them the um, counseling, the host family counseling as well. And worldwide, we have more than 50,000 volunteers from different AFS countries. They do the same thing. They have different chapters of volunteers. They support each of the host students um, person to person. And of course, um, when come to the administrative stage and also organizing, you know, logistics and everything, we have our AFS office in more than 55 countries. So Hong Kong is one of them. So we have a team in Hong Kong that can handle, um, you know, any problems that arises during the exchange journey. Right. Mm. And you mentioned uh, there are many uh, destinations available for, for exchange students and Hong Kong is one of them. And then you talked about how uh, you would uh, bring students to the mainland uh, for a visit. Are, are there any plans to expand your um, exchange program to the mainland? Well, we have um, an office in mainland called AFS China, and this is operating under a very different system because it is part of the Education Bureau in China. So it's not an NGO, because in Hong Kong and in other AFS offices worldwide, we are an NGO. But then AFS China is sort of part of the government um, offices. So they operate in a different system, but still they are very active in recruiting inbound and outbound students. The essence of the operation is still the same for the exchange program but then the administrative part will be more um, tied in with their government system all right so so in general um why do you think it's uh, so valuable for for students to be immersed in uh, another city in a different culture i mean how does that make them a more uh, well-rounded uh, person well the key word is transformation so before the students go out or before they come into hong kong they are just kids teenagers and then they are less exposed to problem solving independence and also looking after themselves so in the whole year of exchange program we have evidence that the students either inbound or outbound they have been transformed into somebody more um, social and with higher confidence and then better looking after themselves and with um, higher problem solving skill um, so this is the main transformation, and this is a lifelong impact on the children, on right. the students. Yeah. No, one just very briefly, is that, I mean, do you, do you agree with that as well? I mean, what was, uh, what's changed for you? I, I, I do agree, actually. Um, I, I remember at first when I came here, I was like really shy and quite insecure about like whether I should ask people, like, I don't know, like just one random example, I was really stressed when I had to buy like a bottle of water and and <laughs> now I can like I I I came to like the other side of the world alone so I know I can like take care of myself and I think it has helped me become more mature and like yeah self-conscious like we also get a really worldwide view and like global view on things right did you learn any Cantonese during your stay I did <laughs> 
but it's still quite bad. <laughs> All right, uh, Noah, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Noah and uh, Noah Nevet, an exchange student from Spain. And also many thanks to uh, Dr. Josephine Jim, Executive Director of AFS Intercultural Exchanges in Hong Kong. And uh, many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and to our guest presenter, Philip Wong and producer Raphael. And uh, tomorrow, Andrew Work and Mike Rouse will be back with another edition of Backchat. Thank you.